1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Verse 8 picks up right where we left off last week. As Peter encouraged us to put on humility and put, cast off anxiety because we're under the mighty hand of God. The last words that Peter said are still ringing in our ears. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you remember that from last week? Some of you weren't with us this, this last week. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. So Peter's next words flow right out of those words. There's no break. You know, Peter wrote that, and then he wrote this next thing. 1 Peter 7 flows right into verse 8. Cast all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. And then verse 8, let me read it to you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The title for this message is lifted right out of verse 10. And it is a splendidly beautiful description of our Lord. I've, we've just sung it. I've just prayed it. In verse 10, Peter calls the Lord the God of all grace. The God of all grace. That is just wonderful. It says a lot, doesn't it? The name means a lot. Remember, whenever the Bible call, whatever the Bible calls God is true about God. This is who God really is. He is the God of all grace. What does that mean? Well, for one, it means that God is full of grace. He has all the grace that there is. Remember, grace is basically a gift, right? When you say grace, the word grace, you mean a gift, something that is free, given to somebody else. It is, it is, towards us, it is unearned. It's undeserved. It's a gift. And this says that God is full of all the, the giftness in the world, full of all the grace, all of the unmerited favor that there is, is in God. And God is full of all the gifts. And so therefore, it also means that He is also the giver of all the gifts. He is the God who has all of the grace there is, and He's the God who dispenses all the grace there is. So that if you've ever received any grace in your life, it came from Him. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The God of all grace. Or, or as we like to sing, he's the fount of every blessing, right? Isn't that, don't you just love that song? Like, you see this fountain, just, you know, all that water cascading. What, what is that? That bubbling out. That's all the grace coming out of God. He is so full of grace that it just pours out onto us. 
He's the God of all grace. Are those words precious to you? They should be. If you understand them, if you belong to Him, then this title for the Lord should be profoundly precious to you. He is the God of all grace. There's been a lot of grace so far in 1 Peter. Now we can kind of look back over the whole book, right? I think this is the eighth time in five chapters that Peter has referenced God's grace. In chapter 1, he told his readers, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. By the way, if you've ever received grace, it's nothing like the grace that's going to come. The grace that's going to be revealed when Jesus Christ returns. Man, that's when we're going to get grace. And just last time, that was chapter 1, just last time in chapter 5, Peter said, God opposes the proud but gives what to the humble? Grace. He will lift you up. All of that grace comes from the same source, the God of all grace. That is who He is, and that is good news for all of His children. Today there are two particular gifts that He gives from all of His grace that we want to highlight and to absorb to our hearts. I've got just two points this morning. It's another short one. Here's the first one. The God of all grace gives us the grace to resist. If you're taking notes this morning, that's point number one. The God of all grace gives us the grace to resist our great enemy. You heard about him when I read verses 8 and 9. Let me read them to you again. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Josh, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. Brianna, you have an enemy. And Peter's really clear about it. One of the reasons, all of you, one of the reasons why you feel threatened right now, some of you feel threatened right now, some of you are, are blissfully unaware of the threat. Peter wants us to know about the threat. One of the reasons why you feel threatened right now is because you have an enemy who wants to eat you for lunch. And it's not some politician or government leader. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Randy, you have a spiritual enemy, also called the devil. And Peter told his readers that he is like a lion. Isabel, there is a lion after you. Now we know that he's also like a snake, right? He's all secretive and slippery. But Peter says the devil was acting then like a roaring lion. Why does a lion roar? Well, he does it when he's hungry to scare his prey. The devil is pictured as pacing to and fro and looking for lunch and roaring. He's not being really secretive when he roars, is he? No, he wants us quaking in our boots. He's roaring to terrify his targets. They get us paralyzed. 
to make his quarry quake. What are you and I pictured as in chapter 5 of 1 Peter? Do you remember a couple weeks ago? He said that we are like sheep. And some of us are both sheep and shepherds. And then he says the devil is like a lion. Man, I wish that was kind of the other way around, right? I mean, I wish I was likened to a lion and the devil was likened to a sheep. Hmm, it's just a couple verses. And he's not sneaking around, he's trying to frighten us. Do you see why this fits with verse 7 we saw last week? How this flows with our anxiety, with our worries? Do you know who really wants you worried? Your enemy. Do you know who really wants you paralyzed with fear? With your cares? The devil. If you are paralyzed because you're holding on to your cares and not casting them onto him, then the devil has the upper hand. If he's got you running scared, then you're playing right into his hand. What would it look like for him to eat you? What is this metaphor all about? What is this simile saying, this figure of speech? What would it look like for the lion to devour us, for the devil to win? What does he ultimately want? He wants us to give up. To stop believing in Jesus. To stop living those such good lives that the pagans watch and they say, Whoa, there's something real there to give in to our temptations and to dive back into sin, to, to not abstain from those sinful desires that wage war against your soul, but instead to give in to them, to live such bad lives before the pagans that they accuse us of doing wrong, and they're right. That's what we're doing because we've fallen back into it. The devil wants us to give up on Jesus and give up on following him. That's what it means for him to devour us. And he'll try to get us to do that through sneakiness, if he can. He is sneaky. He loves it when we forget that he's there and give in to his sneaky temptations. But he'll also do it by prompting persecution and attacking us through the evil provocations of his followers. Either way, he wants to take us down, defeat us, and devour us. And Peter says, don't let him. Don't let him. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Heads up, guys. Heads up. Wake up. Be vigilant. Peter knew all about this, right? Do you remember Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane? The greatest spiritual showdown ever is going on in the Garden. What's Peter doing? Right? He's sawing logs. Jesus is like, couldn't you just stay awake? Just sit with me for just a little bit. Peter's like, I'm awake now. I'm going to remind everybody else to be awake. When he let his guard down and let his Lord down by sleeping at the crucial moment, he says, not anymore. We need to be awake to the spiritual realities going on around us. Peter wants us to have our spiritual guard up because we know that we have an enemy and he wants us running scared. Some of you, your heart's racing because I'm talking about this enemy. 
There's a good sense of that. But stick with this. The God of all grace will give us all the grace we need to resist our enemy. Let me say that again. The God of all grace will give us all the grace we need to resist our enemy. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now that's interesting, isn't it? The way to resist the devil is not some kind of incantation. It's not a magic spell or some particular words that we say or pray. That's not how you resist the devil. How do you resist this roaring lion? You stand still. Standing firm in the faith. Resist him. How? Standing firm in the faith. That's it. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, doesn't it? The, the armor of God. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, same word that Peter uses. We don't resist the devil by some weird kind of Christian superpowers. We resist the devil by believing God's promises. We resist the devil by trusting in the God of all grace. Because remember, our enemy is a defeated one. Natalie, are you scared of lions? Smart gal, yes. Now what about at the zoo? You scared of the lions there? No. They're behind the glass. They're safely behind the glass. Our enemy is our enemy. But he's a defeated enemy. Let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question. Who won the battle at the cross? This is not a trick question. Our Lord did. Jesus did. And we in Him. That's exactly right, Charlie. It, it might have looked like Satan won, right? Jesus died. But Satan lost the battle before the cross happened. He lost the battle in the garden while Peter was sleeping. Do you remember that? Satan came and tempted Jesus. And Jesus said, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. And Satan lost. Satan was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Think about that. Satan was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Because he knew he was losing there. If Jesus had said, I quit. Then the lion would have eaten him for lunch. But instead, the lion of Judah has triumphed. Amen? I love how normal this kind of spiritual warfare is. Sometimes we get to thinking that spiritual warfare is like, like something out of Marvel's Doctor Strange or the, the Scarlet Witch or Harry Potter or something. And, and of course, it can be strange at times when you're dealing with the other world. Okay? Read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. Demons are real. In fact, I got a call this morning praying about these sorts of things. But spiritual warfare at its heart is basically trusting in the promises of God. Standing firm in the faith. See, you all are ready to do spiritual warfare if you know the promises of God. Believe them. That's it. 
the God of all grace will give you all the grace you need to do it. And he's giving grace for that very thing to believers all around the world right now. Look at verse 9 again. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, that is com- that's comforting, but in a really strange way. I mean, it shouldn't be all that comforting to hear that Christians are being persecuted all over the world. <laughs> and yet it is because it says we're not alone. Peter's persecuted readers were not alone in their sufferings. It wasn't because they were doing it all wrong that they were suffering for Jesus. It was because they were doing it right. It's because suffering is normal for the international family of foreigners called the church. Peter calls them the brotherhood. That's the same word as in chapter 2, verse 17. Remember that? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. How are you doing at that? Don't post anything online that doesn't fit with 1 Peter 2.17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. So hard to do when the king is harming you. But the God of all grace will give us all the grace we need to do it. You are not alone. Janet, you are not alone. Renee, You are not alone. Bob, you are not alone. Yes, you are being hunted by the apex predator of all the earth. But so is all of your family in exile in this world. And all we all have to do is stand up to him and he will turn tail and run. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith. And then he goes on into this great promise for the last two verses, and they just about sum up the whole book so far. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Point number two, and last, the God of all grace will give us, number two, the grace to persist. The grace to resist our great enemy and the grace to persist in faith in our great Savior. Peter reminds his readers of what God has promised them. Here's how you stand firm in the faith. Look more closely at verse 10. The God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ. Just that phrase alone can get you through the next week. If for the next six days you just say, the God of all grace has called me into his eternal glory in Christ, I can do today. Right? If you just just live on that, that's all the fuel you need to get through this week. We are the people who have been called by God to His eternal glory in Christ. He's talking about that inheritance from chapter 1. Remember chapter 1 back in September where he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, 
never fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember that? Oh, that is what you and I have been called to. His eternal glory in Christ. I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to preach this. <laughs> like these words are just so good, I don't have words to describe how good they are. I went home last night after writing the sermon. I said to Heather Joy, I'm not good at preaching the passages that are just too good. Like all I know how to do is go, wow, or isn't that amazing, or isn't that splendid, isn't that beautiful, that's so glorious. These, these words have to be sung. They are so good. His eternal glory in Christ, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says that the God of all grace, who's called us to this glory, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you. Now those are sobering words. They're just as sobering as hearing that we have an enemy that's after us. It says we're going to have to suffer, and for a little while, and we're like, ooh, how long? Now, does, that, does those words, little while, sound familiar to you? Peter used them before in chapter 1. In the very next verse from the ones I was just quoting to you a minute ago, chapter 1, verse 5, in this inheritance you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That little while might seem like a long time. Have you been suffering for a long time? You might. That persecution might last the rest of these precious readers' lives. But Peter is providing them with perspective. He's, he's panning the camera out and giving them the big, long view. It's going to be short, little while, compared to eternity. This suffering will have an ending to it. It will be relatively short. This suffering has an expiration date on it. You need to hear that this morning? Your suffering has an expiration date on it. It's just a little while if you belong to Christ. And when it's over, it'll be over forever. And Peter says, the Lord himself, did you see that word, himself? The Lord himself will, verse 11, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. His own hand will do it. Strong, firm, and steadfast forever and ever. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? I, I don't have words for that either. The God of all grace will give us all the grace we need to persist. Strong, firm, and steadfast. He will restore you. He will lift you up in due time, like we saw last week in verse 6. I love those words in verse 10 to describe what we will be like forever. Strong, firm, and steadfast. Does that lift your head? I'm going to be strong, firm, and steadfast. Good, because I often do not feel like that right now. He's going to restore me. He himself will do it and make me strong, firm, and steadfast. I can't wait. Of course, waiting is exactly what we need to do. We aren't quite there yet. We're almost home. We're almost home. But we're not there yet. We're still in the little while of verse 10 
being tracked by the apex predator, Satan, of verse 8. We're not there yet, but we know how this story is going to end. So here's what we're supposed to do right now. Be self-controlled and alert. Resist our enemy, standing firm in the faith and trusting in, this, in the guaranteed promises of the God of all grace. Just you wait, because He will come through. Not only is He the God of all grace, He's the God of all power. Verse 11, to Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And the, the Greek can actually be translated there, He has the power forever and ever. He can do this. He has all of the power to keep all of His promises forever and ever. He has all of the power to dispense all of His grace forever and ever. Now, it may not seem like it right now. Right now, you feel like you're being chased by the predator, and you feel like that little while is going to be forever. You might actually feel like God is not even real right now. Is He even real? Listen to these words. This is what is real. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, this is the story you're living in, will Himself restore you and will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He has the power forever and ever. Amen. Stand firm in Him, in all of His grace, in all of His power.